You're listening to The Growing Season, a podcast from Arkansas PBS. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Farming is a profession of hope. Canadian novelist and poet Brian Brett wrote those simple words from his farm on Salt Spring Island off the Canadian West Coast. The phrase is simple enough, but its insight is far-reaching. Agriculture, whether in Canada, Arkansas, or the million places in between, is a practice of faith in the face of the unpredictable. Farmers work every day to build lives atop countless variables, like the inevitable breakdown of aging equipment or the looming threat of new disease. As for springtime in Arkansas, there are few things as unpredictable as the weather. In early April of 2022, a rash of tornadoes tore across the state, ripping through farms just as families prepared for planting and grazing season. This month's stories find our farmers either rushing in the face of or scrambling in the wake of that violent storm system. When a year's worth of work can be blown away by a shift in the breeze, it's no wonder 61% of American farmers report feelings of stress and anxiety. Wrapping up today's episode, we'll speak with Dr. Teresa Hudson of the Psychiatric Research Institute at UAMS on the very real effects this kind of stress might have on our farmers. So let's get into it on the growing season. It's the afternoon of April 11th. Dark storm clouds roll off the Ozark Mountains and settle in over Harrison, Arkansas. Will and Rachel Norton are in a muddy back lot, keeping a close look on their young kids and even younger cattle. Journalist Jordan Hickey finds them there. It's a rainy day at the Norton farm. Later today, tornado conditions will take hold of Arkansas and the northeast corner of the state will take the brunt of the damage. But for now, it's only rain, and the Nortons are caring for their bottle calves. Rachel Norton holds the rain at bay with an enormous magenta and orange beach umbrella, which evidently does not fit through the gate leading to their horse pen. The family enters a small barn area with all the necessary trappings to feed the bottle calves. The Norton's daughter, Whitley, describes the area while her little brother, Cal, climbs the cattle gates as easy as if he were walking upstairs. And this is where we keep some medicine in the freezer. Um, we have a lot in here. Bridles for the horses, saddles. Yeah, we have a lot. Rachel has fitted a whisk onto the nose of a drill and is mixing bottles of medicated powdered milk for the baby calves outside. Twice a day, they feed the bottle calves. It's a good project for the kids, the Nortons say. Go. In the covered pen outside are the three calves, Zorro, Ranger, and Cupcake. As soon as the bottles hit their lips, the milk disappears into a vortex dropping almost instantaneously, vanishing into each calf's hungry mouth. 
As the rain spatters the pen's metal roof, Will watches Cal run back and forth with the baby cows we've just fed. He explains there are often far more head of cattle in the pen, particularly on Monday mornings when they process cattle. Checking for sore hooves, bad eyes, pneumonia. His full-grown cattle aren't so different from the calves his kids are taking care of. They all need a lot of help. You buy a calf where you make most of your money in doing what I do is you're gathering. And you are gathering mismanaged, mis whatever cattle. They don't have the shots. They don't know how to eat out of feed bunk. They don't know how to drink out of waters. They don't, you know, they don't know anything. They're just, it's like you bring a bunch of toddlers in and you're, you're trying to teach them to line up and eat and behave. And all they know is they're missing mama. It's a business that on the surface seems to have an especially steep learning curve. And one of the steepest parts of that curve has to do with the metal roof above Will's head. Because it's not just there to keep us dry. It's one of the countless pieces of key infrastructure and processes that allow him to maintain the precarious balancing act of keeping his cattle healthy. There's lots of diseases. We've bred these cattle up to where they're so fast growing, they're, they're kind of soft. It's like they outgrow their immune system somewhat. And um, then when you go to sale barns, they're commingled with every bunch in the county or state or whatever. You need to be really in touch with a good veterinarian, have a great uh, relationship with them, because you'll need it sooner or later. Most people get into it and they, First time or two, they get along real well, don't have much sickness. Um, then they'll hit a bad set and then they're done. They won't do it again. Everything that Will says is rooted in decades of experience. What he says about medicine not working if the calves are agitated. What he says about seeing red flags in the sale barn that you only pick up on if you've studied these animals all your life. You don't get this far without losing some battles yourself. But the most important thing is that you learn from them and you try to do it better next time. After a lifetime on the farm, Will knows how to keep his cows healthy. But with the amount of work on his plate, he knows his own health and that of his team around him is just as important and just as delicate. Really, we took two vacations when I was a kid, and that was all. Um, we worked a lot. I like working, but I guess probably one of the biggest problems with this is if you're trying to do it all, you're, you get where you're not doing real good at what you need to be doing. Well, you're not doing real good on what you need to be doing. Will Norton understands living with stress day in and day out hinders the simple abilities we often take for granted. It becomes difficult to make the everyday decisions required of running a farm. We'll learn more about these effects and how to cope with them later in the episode. When we catch back up with the Nortons, they'll be checking the grocery list for their growing family and explaining how their busy lifestyle makes it hard to eat healthy, even when you know most of your food personally. It isn't always a tired mind standing between a farmer and the end of this chore list. For lifetime farmers like Darren Davis, aging equipment and infrastructure often causes just as much frustration as the weather. Put the two together, and it makes for a hard day's work and a slow start to the season. Producer Antoinette Grajeda has the story. 
The race is on at Lakeview Farm. The team has been working since 6.30, hustling to clean up the property before the rain arrives in Phillips County. A pile of trash burns while a backhoe growls, transporting tractor tires across the yard. Farm owner Darren Davis has spent much of his morning hauling fuel to keep their equipment running and get some work done before the predicted rain rolls in. We get in this predicament all the time. Uh, I call it a race against the rain. You know, you can't ever win, but, <laughs> but uh, you, you just do what you can do until the rain starts. Weather has been Darren's biggest stress this season. He's running behind thanks to an extremely wet March and a rainy start to April. He's worried they won't be able to plant in time, but he's not going to panic until the end of the month. If the ground's still wet come May, Darren will have nothing to do but sit and wait. Sitting on pins and needles, just kind of hoping and wishing, praying that the rain will hold up. And then late May, we'll be praying again that it rains. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. It, you don't want the rain right now because we want to plant and you're big for the rain because you'll need it in June and July. Once his crops are planted, they'll need fertilizer, which is more expensive this year. But Darren may have caught a break after running into a guy who's selling it much cheaper. Many fertilizer ingredients come from Russia and the country's war with Ukraine is driving up costs. It's, it's affecting the farmer pretty pretty drastically. Uh, it has more than doubled the price of fertilizer from last year to this year. The fuel cost has doubled pretty much from last year to this year. After his son fills the tank of a red case sprayer with fuel, Darren backs up the massive machine with impressive ease. He fills up a second tank with chemicals, releases some excess water, and is ready to head to the fields. But something doesn't sound right. Oh, something has happened. Something has happened. Don't know what that is, but it's not good. Uh -oh. <laughs> Darren dismounts the sprayer and calls the local case mechanic, who doesn't answer. He's already been out once this morning to fix an O-ring on the machine's fuel pump. I'm not sure. I just heard the noise. Not sure what it, what it is. Is it common for stuff to... It is, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, it is. It's common for, for stuff to just sometimes break down. Oh, uh, I hate it because that sets me back on the rain some more. But, but you know, it kind of is what it is. You just have to deal with it as it comes. This is the latest equipment repair slowing Darren's progress. One of his tractors is currently in the shop getting a new engine, but with any luck, it will be ready next week. My neighbors are just a tad bit ahead of me. Some of them are planting right now, some of them are not. Yeah, so it's been a challenging spring, but we're going to get there. Perhaps the pause in work is well-timed. Sprinkles soon start falling from the sky a couple of hours earlier than predicted. They may have lost the race against the rain today, but some days farming is a marathon and some days it's a sprint. For Darren Davis, soggy furrows have turned his race against the clock into a slog. When we catch up with him in May, as the soil dries out, Darren will discuss the unexpected toll farmer suicide can take on a community like Lakeview. By the morning of April 12th, the violent storm system washed into central Arkansas, bringing tornado activity with it.
For many farmers in the central part of the state, this means canceling their race against the clock and taking shelter. Rachel and John Michael Bearden know their farm, like the countless others in the Arkansas River Valley, is in a precarious position in weather like this. Lowland flooding means limited access and stranded livestock if their response isn't quick enough. A sudden storm brings long hours, an abrupt change of plans, and sudden stress to farmers in the bottoms. But Rachel and John Michael find inspiration in the most unlikely of places, their favorite princess movies. Worst case scenario, the safe room is across the street. Okay. It's a rainy day in Friendship, Arkansas, so we meet Rachel and John Michael Bearden at the University of Arkansas Department of Agriculture Extension Office to see how the month has treated them. We are greeted by a stuffed horse and disarray. We're bet science dummies, uh -huh. you can call it. So when the kids learn about leg bandaging and proper handling, he's our demo horse. So what does a farmer do when it rains? So the biggest struggle for us when bad weather like this comes in is because the, we're on the river. We've got to plan a week in advance for storms like this because we've got to make sure that there aren't cows on the low ground. If we've got any cows that are calving, we've got to make sure they're up on high ground because you'd hate for a little fella to get stuck and be in the wet areas. Honestly, it was Saturday. We were looking far enough ahead Saturday. We were moving cows, making sure they weren't in that flood prone area. We had some new babies on the ground that we wanted to go ahead and make sure that they got all the way out of that area. Um, there's some of our farms that we can't even get to. The, when the river comes up, it cuts us out of them. It's just hard to get in there and check those cows, get them fed. So you're having to think far enough in advance and plan for that. Three years ago, the Arkansas River saw one of its worst floods in the last century. Farms and communities along the bottoms lost millions in property and land damage. With lengthening wet seasons, it's unlikely we'll have to wait another hundred years before it happens again. So how does the farmer prepare? The farmer's almanac? It's pretty accurate. It even called all this, like, that it was going to be pretty good storms this week. Um, the extension agent in me has to tell you that the farmer's almanac is not research-based. <laughs> uh, so we, we do watch other weather carefully as well. Well, her dad's always told me, if you're sitting on his front porch and you look to your right, and if there's a cloud bank over the bank, um, the actual river bank, if there's a cloud bank above it, he said it'll rain the next day. And it has been true 98% of the time. Regardless of the 100-year flooding, you'd rather have rain not. So right now all of our cool season grasses are growing. So like we planted rye grass and wheat seed so that we'd have cool season grazing so we could be grazing right now. So obviously all this rain is going to help that grass grow when it dries out. We'll have some warmer days. We ought to have more grazing. And when you're farming you don't ever turn water down. No. In August we'll be begging for it. Mm -hmm. You say thank you Lord when it rains and you roll on and deal with it. Besides, the spring of 2022 has bigger, more alarming things to think about for farmers. As Agriculture Secretary Wes Ward stated last month, Arkansas is a top 10 producer in the three primary poultry categories of eggs, broiler chickens, and turkeys. And those producers have something new to worry about. The two biggest things is if you're in the poultry division, obviously avian flu is very, very scary. Arkansas is a huge poultry state. And the problem isn't necessarily with our large-scale commercial flocks because biosecurity has been huge in the poultry commercial industry for a long time. The birds that are most susceptible are your backyard birds. So far, it's not in Arkansas. If it is in Arkansas, it's going to get really scary really quickly. The other side that I think everyone's talking about right now are input costs. Fertilizer is off the charts, super expensive. 
our hay producers are scrambling trying to figure out what they're going to be able to do to fertilize hay fields. Chicken litter is probably going to get used more this year than it has in probably the last 10. 2008 was the last year we've been in this kind of fertilizer crisis. So most of our fertilizer that's commercial grade, kind of your traditional fertilizers, are going to come through your local feed stores. The source of that fertilizer, around 90% of our fertilizer, comes from Russia and the Ukraine. So obviously with that conflict going on, we're not buying fertilizer from them. So we can't get it and what we have is being priced so high, a lot of our small scale producers can't afford it. You're looking at urea somewhere around $1,000 a ton. In the last three years, that number's been as low as $200 a ton. With production costs this high, how do farmers keep like their chins up? that guides you? Is there some kind of a moral, a moral <laughs> mantra you have? Um, the the Michael's <laughs> let it go on a regular basis. Uh, in Frozen 2, and we've become experts on it, I feel like, um, she sings a song about do the next right thing. We try really hard to plan ahead. The hardest thing, or the biggest challenge, you have people say every day in our group that it is almost impossible to farm full-time. The cost and the sheer cost to get involved. If your land's paid for, your cow's paid for, your equipment's paid for, yeah, that's fine. But if you're trying to pay for two of those three items, you won't ever make it. But we're paying for all three of those items. And we're busting our tail every day. And you really just want to say, watch me. I may go broke, I may be tired, I may be wore out, but nobody at the end of the day can say that we did not try, that we did not give our very best, not only in our own operations, but the people around us. You get a phone call, hey man, I'm out of hay, I don't know what to do. Well, I don't have a lot, but I'll bring you a load. And it gives us the hope and the honor to keep going and say, yeah, that's why we came home. That's why we are here, not only to help ourselves, but to help each other and people get to watch us do it. And it gives them the hope that they can go home one day and that they can enjoy their farm like we do. Just do the next right thing. Once again, a simple statement with complex costs. Costs like energy you can afford or time you don't have. Like so many farmers struggling to do the right thing, Rachel and John Michael continue to pay those costs. Their heads held high. Just watch me. No one will say we didn't try. When we catch back up with the Beardens in May, they'll try their hand at an early cutting of hay and speak on the unique style of teamwork it takes to keep the farm running and the stress that it can put on a marriage. The high emotional costs of farming are paid differently by every farmer. Rachel and John Michael sometimes have to carry the extra weight of being responsible to their community. However, many farmers across the state feel more like Larry Galligan in West Fork, a solitary man keeping the wolves of pest and disease from the door. Spring has arrived at Riverside Specialty Farm. The sun is shining as a cool wind blows through West Fork. Larry Galligan steps from the deck into the kitchen to take a break from his morning chores. He cracks open a can of Coors Banquet, a beer he often drank with friends as a younger man. It's become a staple in his home. He sits down at the counter and opens his laptop. Overwhelmed by the amount of unread emails, he muses if he can pay his nine-year-old son to clear his inbox. 
not today. Wyatt's headed to a friend's birthday, and Larry has plenty more tasks to accomplish this weekend. The morning started with mowing. He wasn't planning on cutting the grass today, but there's rain in the forecast for much of next week and time is running out. We can't mow when it's wet because we get a lot of standing water in different places. And so um, that's why I'm trying to get some of that mowing done today. It's really our first mow of the year and it's, it's patchy, you know, but I know if I don't get on it now in a week, it'll be out of hand, so. Keeping the grass cut short helps with Larry's biggest headaches, weeds and insects. Weeds are our biggest problem. Insects occasionally we deal with, and we're organic, so we have to be real, you know, careful about how we deal with some of these things. And, and uh, but weeds are my biggest, my biggest struggle. And weeds are kind of a twofold problem because a lot of weeds will also serve as an alternate host for insect pests and an alternate host for diseases. Inside his greenhouse, Larry is grafting tomato plants to create a more disease-resistant plant. Last year, he lost a lot of his crop to blight, a fungal disease that affects the plant's stems and leaves. It was the worst blight I'd ever seen, like, which is, tomatoes always kind of have some blight, you know, but it, it was on the fruit and it was just like, I can't, it's not even worth picking this and trying to sell it. So we just plowed everything under. Losing roughly 1,200 plants to the disease was disappointing. The loss cost time and money and exemplifies the fragile nature of operating a small-scale vegetable farm. You're only, you know, you're always one catastrophic event away from it getting completely ruined. Farming without risk isn't farming. That's some advice a local rancher gave Larry, who's preparing to grow tomatoes again this year, but he's struggling to find shelter for his plants. One of the things that's really kind of stressing me out at the moment is, as you can see, we've started building another high tunnel over here, and um, I'm in the process of assembling trusses when I have a free moment. Although it's the same structure as one he previously built, Larry and a part-time worker are running into some challenges in the construction process of a new high tunnel. Higher costs and material demands have also been issues. Tunnels are made out of steel, and steel's 40% higher than it was two years ago, you know, and so it's um, just accounting for material costs. And then we had a big wait. They had such a backlog of orders now because demand is so high. Larry is also feeling the pressure to wrap up his off-farm work, building fences around Washington County. While things are still fairly calm on the farm, he knows that will change as he progresses through the stressful cycle of the season. So right now I'm in that optimistic phase because all I'm doing is trying to grow plants and have healthy plants and, and uh, you know, stay on my schedule that I have, my planting schedule. And, I, and we're you know, kind of doing that. And, and so, uh, but yeah, once, uh, once we have to start harvesting and dealing with, you know, because then you got multiple jobs, you got to deal with still planting more products, you got to harvest, and then you got to sell and deliver. And so you got a couple of hats to wear. Whether it's mowing in a dry spell or mending fences before the harvest starts, April seems to be a race against the clock for small farms like Larry's. But today feels a bit like the calm before the storm. There's more on the to-do list this weekend, but today, Larry is happy to savor this moment of peace and the rest of his beer. In May, Larry will welcome a local group of gardeners to Riverside Specialty Farm. Guests mean extra work and stressful preparation. The same kind of stressful preparation most farmers were working through, staking tomatoes and closing up greenhouses, is that mid-April storm system threatened its charge across the state. 
We've been bringing you team coverage since the storms began last time. It's getting the roof. This is good. Power, Power flashes. Wow. Wow. We were sitting in the living room. We had one minute. The phone started going off, and the TV just clicked back and said there's been one spotted in Mayflower. We ran to the hallway. One minute later, I heard the Right now, where this was a metal roof that flown off part of this person's house, and you see it landed over here, half of it in the neighboring, the neighbor's yard, with trees all over. Wow, that's big. Big old tornado. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, we need to go, I think. Tornadoes and thunderstorms left a valley of destruction across the state after April 13th. One of those affected communities was Perryville where Donna Kilpatrick and her team woke up on Thursday morning to a field full of turkeys and a laundry list of repairs. Last we spoke, Donna Kilpatrick and her wife were planning a break from the farm to see Tame Impala live in Nashville. So the first question we have is, how is Tame Impala? We didn't go. Oh, no. Oh. We're both feeling exhausted. And just like, is this really, really difficult decision not to go? In the end, we we're glad we stayed home. We were just, sleep was helpful, maybe. Yeah, just we just needed the time at home. Today, it is blustery and bright. The ranch is scarred with damage left by a storm the night before. That schooner, it's probably $2,500 worth of infrastructure for our chickens. Um, and that storm that we had on Wednesday, wow. it got airlifted from this pasture where this schooner is, across that fence that's down, across this fence that's down, across this fence that's down, and now is in this pasture. So I need to take this fence down today, take that fence down and get the schooner back across. You know, that's just like one of the stresses of ranching is the weather. Uh, and Wednesday was really challenging, you know, for us, so. Just like most producers around the state, Donna is growing more concerned with the recent outbreak of avian flu. A new strain of the disease is impacting several states across the country, being passed from wild birds to domesticated fowl. But it hasn't hit Arkansas yet. Yeah, so we have, we have some pretty strict uh, biosecurity protocols in place um, regarding going in our brooder. Um, we work with uh, Grassroots Farmers Cooperative, who also has technical assistance that works with grassroots farmers to ensure that we're all being safe and compliant. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, you take all the measures you can and you hope uh, because, you know, we do pasture poultry and our birds are undercover, uh, but still the, the, you know, avian flu is, is passed on by birds flying overhead um, and their droppings and then, you know, so that's that's a concern. Luckily, Donna is generally safe from the rising costs of fertilizer, currently squeezing most conventional farming operations. I am so happy that we practice regenerative agriculture because we don't rely on any of those inputs. I mean, I don't know when the last time we've put a commercial fertilizer on any of our pastures. Um, what, what it could affect is we buy hay from farmers that may or may not use fertilizer, so the cost of hay I think we'll see go up. I feel really thankful that we use, you know, such conservative methods in terms of inputs. What has affected us some is shipping cost because we do order things like seeds for cover crop, uh, shavings for the brooders, and so shipping costs are up, so that, you know, that does affect us. As we drive, Donna expresses her excitement for a new spring. It's hard not to be excited about being working outside the summer. In general, how could you not love this, yeah. you know? 
So, and seeing the cows so happy finally out on pasture, it's great. So, very much looking forward to starting our EOV, Ecological Outcomes uh, Verification Program, on some of our grassroots farms. So, we're going to be leaving the farm and leaving the ranch and going to other grassroots producers, spending up to a week's time on other ranches testing. But even in this idyllic scene, Donna is always thinking of the future. I'm grazing this pasture pretty hard now and then starting mid-May I'll start planting it with cover crops. Uh -huh. So just really trying to get it grazed hard. So the goal is to have the animals really graze it down then we plant it. The preparation is still key. What do you do to predict the weather? I use weather underground. Uh -huh. I like sticking with one channel or provider or whatever and that's what I've always used for well that's what I've used for the last couple years and also planning the week by it you know looking at extended forecast and being like well Wednesday is going to be an office day because the tornado is coming I enjoy rainy days if I'm prepared and then I love them I can get a ton done um, but if I'm scrambling because I didn't do what I needed to do to be prepared that I'm just frustrated mostly with myself and sometimes you can't predict it but so for example on Wednesday we knew we were gonna get hammered so we prepared on Tuesday and then Lizzie and I Lizzie Parker the sister rancher and I moved the cows at 6 a.m. we started from one side of the ranch all the way across to where they are now because we didn't want to have to do that during the middle of a storm. For Donna, the uncertainty of Arkansas weather is the toughest part of running the ranch. Big or small, success in farming comes back to planning and preparation. From the Beardens moving quickly to clear out their lower pastures to Donna Kilpatrick taking her rainy days to keep things straight. Preparation is key to not getting waylaid by an incoming storm. When we catch back up with Donna in May, she'll be reeling from lack of sleep, preparing for an upcoming conference and wondering how in the world she'll find time for equipment repairs. Donna's job is far more than full time. At Dogwood Hills, the mother-daughter team of two work in constant tandem to not only keep the farm running, but guests happy and entertained as well. An infinite checklist helps keep their eyes on the prize, but even with that organization, Grace and Ruthie Pepler aren't immune to hitting that glass wall of exhaustion that comes for every farmer, eventually. Producer Jordan Hickey has the story. On a rainy Monday, Grace Pepler steps outside to meet some friends who are dropping off llama wool. Like the Peplers, they'd had their animals shorn earlier that day and had fortunately remembered to bring all their animals inside before the storm hit last night. Inside the family's living area, Grace opens a black garbage bag brimming with llama fiber. So we've got two different colors. It might be from, I think it's probably actually from the same llama, it's just a dual colored llama. Um, so like you've got some pretty nice, this one's got some red locks and some white. You can see this one has a little more curl to it on some of the pieces. Along one side of the room are several items that might be considered antiques in anyone else's home. A spinning wheel from 1946, a clock winder, which measures how many yards of fiber you've spun. 
All of these Grace uses to spin fiber into yarn. And it's just one more thing in what feels like an endless list of farm tasks constantly vying for the peppler's attention. There is no shortage of lists. There are lists when the guests are there. Get up in the mornings, I come out, I start with the milking and pasteurizing, and then you know make sure all the cows are fed, go and do all the fodder. So that takes me you know between 7.30 to sometimes about 11 o'clock. There are lists when there aren't guests. I go outside and I turn on the lights for the lemur, feed the baby chicks, start the pasteurizer running, and drop the seed. There are lists when they have help. She comes out earlier, starts the fodder. Same thing, we do that. I try and get the pasteurizer started and do the fodder. And lists for when it's just them. When I have guests, my morning doesn't start you know, at 7.30, it sometimes starts at 6 or 6.30. These scratch lists are what keep the farm running. This is especially the case when they have help arrive like they did a few days before, especially long-term help. It's important for Ruthie and Grace to explain exactly what they need done and when, because these helpers, as Ruthie says, don't have the benefit of 20 years of working together. So usually we just kind of go back and forth tag teaming all day, and I walk away from something and she finishes it, and she walks away and I finish it, and that's just kind of how we do all day. And even with the chores, we've realized that we have to write down everything that we actually do, because not everybody else knows what we do. There's always something that needs doing. And sometimes you just need to sit down and take a breather from time to time. When that happens, Ruthie sets a timer somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes and just sits. Otherwise, she says you're liable to hit what she calls a glass wall, a sudden bout of exhaustion that is hard to bounce back from. I dropped an entire gallon of milk, glass jar, I was moving them, and that was the grass, that was the wall. It was proverbial, but it was also, I had to, I, I was really tired, and I was like, one more thing, let me just get one more thing done. And I grabbed the thing, the basket with the glass jars in them, and they went bang together. And the milk, I mean, I was covered from my waist all the way down in my work boots. Yeah, I was just like, oh. And you know, the, all these little sayings on the farm, don't cry over spilled milk, I was like, okay. I won't. I'll go get the dogs. <laughs> and then I couldn't get the dogs to go in because they know they're not allowed in that room. I'm like, just this once. You have special dispensation. Come on. And <laughs> we had to like drag them. I had to call her to help me drag the dogs into the room. I'm like, hurry up. <laughs> Still, even though there is no final checkbox for the farm at the end of the to-do list, Ruthie knows the best way to get respite is often simple. Enjoying the antics of the ducks, taking tea with a friend, we're just sitting and reflecting on how fortunate they are to have what they have. You know, enjoy that. Enjoy the farm life. Not just run it, run it, run it. Because there's a reason you're farming. You must like it, you know? You hope, yeah. You hope you enjoy doing what you do, but you have to step back and remember why you like it. If you don't allow yourself to enjoy those moments, it doesn't matter. Remembering there's a reason you do what you do. Once again, simple advice with far reach. Reaching much farther than farming, in fact. A helpful thought in any walk of life. Next month, we'll find Ruthie and Grace at the dinner table with a house full of guests and visiting workers. They'll talk about the struggle of keeping a local menu interesting, even with a garden growing right outside the kitchen window. Simple and powerful choices, like the Pepler's quiet moments on the farm, can have a great impact on stress and anxiety. 
but often, as with a broken piece of equipment or a down fence line, by the time we realize something is wrong, it's too late for the simple solution. Many farmers across Arkansas feel unprepared to deal with their anxiety. Maybe because they don't recognize the problem in themselves, or maybe because they don't know how to address it, even if they did. Dr. Teresa Hudson and her team at the Psychiatric Research Institute at UAMS are bringing research and solutions to the state. Regardless of where you find yourself, help is just a phone call away. Arkansas PBS producer Corey Womack finds out more. So we are here today back in our studio with uh, Dr. Teresa Hudson from the uh, Psychiatric Research Institute at UAMS. And so thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So, I mean, my first big question, what are y'all up to? What do, what do y'all do there? PRI focuses on a variety of strategies to improve mental health, often at the population level. So we have about a dozen researchers working on suicide prevention, identification and treatment of alcohol use disorder, of opioid reduction and opioid safety. And increasingly, we're interested in mental health in um, farm workers and agricultural workers. So we're kind of addressing this growing issue among farm workers and ag workers of uh, this growing mental health crisis. Uh, We've seen a spike in depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and burnout and even suicide rates. Have you all gotten a good idea of this just here in Arkansas? Unfortunately, I have not found good numbers in Arkansas. It is not easy to get the agricultural community to talk about mental health. So it's it's not easy to get those particular stats. A lot of your research kind of comes back to medication and treatment for mental health. And, you know, I, I had a grandfather who uh, drove a truck for years and his, his he had back trouble and probably needed back surgery, but would never go to the doctor to get it checked out. A back surgery was like a, a death sentence. And I think a lot of older farmers look at mental health that way. So a lot of people are hesitant to take medication and I'm okay with that. There are other kinds of, med- of treatments that are very helpful, including um, psychotherapy or counseling, and medication plus um, psychotherapy or or counseling is extremely effective. And you don't necessarily um, start medication to be on it for a lifetime. Individuals with untreated depression and anxiety also have higher risk for cardiovascular disease, so high blood pressure heart attacks, stroke. So it comes down to having an effect on your physical life. The other thing that is interesting to me is if you're depressed and, and really have a lot of anxiety or, or you're really just super stressed, you know, it's, this is a pretty stressful time in our lives. How do you know you're making good decisions, right? Mm-hmm. How do you know you're making good financial decisions, good decisions about your children or your your spouse or your business mm-hmm. how do you know and often people who have untreated anxiety and depression have um, are not necessarily making good decisions we talk to farmers and a lot of it is day-to-day stress the soil's too wet to plant or uh, i've got a flat tire on my tractor that's kind of like an acute specific stress especially in these interviews we're doing right now We've had farmers dealing with COVID for the last two years, mm-hmm. and then uh, we have this conflict in Ukraine, and now that's all of our petroleum-based products. All of our fertilizers have shot through the roof. Well, that's a much bigger kind of stress. How do these different kinds of stress, how do those affect us? So if you're stressed, 
constantly over a long period of time, it really decreases your ability to manage those daily things that are, I woke up this morning, I had a big plan for planting what, whatever, and now I can't do today's plan. And so, you know, that's going to put me behind. But if you are managing stress well, you're better able to deal with those daily stresses. People who are um, experiencing a lot of stress will also um, are, tend to complain more of pain. And sometimes it's back, sometimes it's abdominal pain. If you can find a way to manage that stress, you will physically feel better mm-hmm. and be in a better um, situation to do your daily work as well as, as I talked about before, making decisions and so on. Let's say I'm a farmer or I'm a family member of a farmer. I'm a, I've never considered that I might be depressed. What kinds of symptoms should I be looking for? When should, when should we maybe have a conversation about this? The first thing I always tell people is if it's coming to your mind that I don't know if I can do this, I'm, I'm so tired, I can't get up and do this anymore, um, or I can't sleep at all, you probably should talk to somebody about what could be done. And in Arkansas, we have the program at UAMS called AR Connect Now. Okay. And AR Connect Now is a virtual, urgent mental health clinic. There's a 1-800 number for the statewide, and then if you happen to be in central Arkansas, a local number. You call that, a nurse answers. Make sure you're um, not so acute that we can't help you. And then we'll offer you um, the opportunity to make an appointment. And usually that first appointment is within one working day. That first visit is really devoted to working with you to figure out what you need. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we make another appointment to begin counseling. If, you need, if um, it seems that you might need medication, we have a psychiatrist available to help with that. And... Uh, that is free. You don't. If you have insurance, we're required. We're grant funded, mm-hmm. so we're required to bill the insurance. But the grant pays the copay. And if you don't have insurance, that's fine. But we'll offer to help you get insurance if you need it. And you can have about one to six visits. People. Some people only need one visit. They're. They really are literally just stressed and need some resources to help with stress. So they have one or two visits with us, and they have some ideas of strategies they could use, and they're good. Uh-huh. But other people need longer-term uh, options. And so when we figure out that this is a person that might want to stay in therapy for a while, we start working to connect them to therapy in their area of the state uh-huh. so that it's convenient for them. Right. So this is all done virtually. People are really pretty pleased with this virtual environment and one guy said, you know, I didn't have to worry that somebody saw my car at the, huh. at the mental health clinic. And I didn't worry that while I was in the waiting room, people were judging me because I always felt like I was being judged. Right. And so it's a very private way to start this conversation with someone about what's going on with you personally and how you could manage some of those, some of those situations. Right. I encourage people to use this resource. We don't ask... Uh, questions. We ask you if you're insured or not. You don't have to be a citizen. You just have to call us Mm -hmm. and we'll do our best. That was Dr. Teresa Hudson of the Psychiatric Research Institute at UAMS. 
where she and her team work every day to do the next right thing, providing farmers with access to effective mental health care across the state. The clinic's free services can be reached through AR Connect Now by calling 501-526-3563 in the Central Arkansas area and statewide at 800-482-9921. Brian Brett was right in calling farming a profession of hope, but hope, just like an aging sprayer or a barbed wire fence, has to be taken care of. It has to be maintained. The hope of too many farmers has fallen into disrepair. So what can be done? The first step in riding the ship is talking about the problem. So on your next rainy day, when you find yourself taking shelter under the eaves, ask a farmer how they're doing. Take the time and do the next right thing. Next month, we'll catch back up with our six featured farmers as the pressure mounts and the growing season truly kicks off in May. We'll also speak with Chelsea Tull, a registered dietitian and nutritionalist, as well as the bariatric program coordinator at the Saline Health Systems in Benton, Arkansas. She'll discuss how the compounded effects of stress and dietary choices can take a toll on a working farmer. The growing season is funded through a farm and ranch stress assistance network grant provided by the United States Department of Agriculture and administered by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. This episode was written and directed by Corey Womack of Arkansas PBS. Our stories are covered by journalists Antoinette Grajeda and Jordan Hickey, as well as Hilary Trudell, Omaya Jones, and Andy Vaught of the Yarn Storytelling Initiative. Audio mastering was done by engineer Tracy Prince. This podcast is an Arkansas PBS production. I'm your host, Ben Dickey, and this has been The Growing Season. If you enjoyed these stories, please review our podcast and be sure to follow Arkansas PBS on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.